This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? No, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to the races, and he stays on his feet. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Well, it's our last episode of the season. So sad. Beyond the box score. We've had a fun run. You know, if you were listening to Beyond the Box Score months ago, before the season started, you would have Puka Nakua on every team, just like Jacob Gibbs does. And we welcome you on this Monday afternoon. Adam Azer with Jacob and Dan Schneier here. We'll recap Baltimore and Jacksonville. We'll talk about Bijan Robinson in Week 16. We'll talk about Austin Eckler. We'll talk about the backup quarterbacks. Uh, run through that list, Dan, of the uh, top quarterbacks in fantasy that Dave tweeted out uh, before Monday Night Football. and before, Well, I think probably even after... Sunday night football, Lamar Jackson scored about 20 fantasy points, but who are the top quarterbacks this week? Yeah, so I love this list. Credit Dave Richard, and I think it's just funny because it always makes me think about how funny this game is that we over-obsess with. You, all three of us, and everyone who listens spends hours upon hours over-obsessing over this game like we can control anything, (laughs) and then in week 11, in, in week 15, the first week of the fantasy playoffs, the top 12 quarterbacks or top 11 quarterbacks are Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Brock Purdy, Aiden O'Connell, Derek Carr, Gardner Minshew, Easton Stick, Matthew Stafford, Jake Browning, Jordan Love, and Nick Mullins. Not one of those quarterbacks was selected in the top 12. And some of those quarterbacks were not even drafted and are backup quarterbacks. I mean, wow. it's just unbelievable. And obviously with that comes along their passing game. So if those guys are scoring passing points in fantasy, that means their receivers are the only ones really scoring points in fantasy for the most part. So it's been wild this season. And somehow, guys, and this was shocking to me. I talked to Chris Towers about this before the show. We actually had more backup, more quarterbacks who make starts last season than this one. I talked about this today because Mason Rudolph has been named starter now of the Steelers, another new starter. But like, we're back to Rudolph somehow in season number. What? How many is this for Rudolph? But somehow last season we had more quarterback start games than this season. Really? Somehow, really yeah. interesting. I mean, so it it's would, becoming a trend. It would be like the right time of year for Rudolph, wouldn't it? I mean, right. Uh, thank you thank you jacob good afternoon to you hey man uh pretty sad pretty sad for the last episode here but we've got some comments people like we got to bring him back in the off season and that's what i'm saying oh yeah i'm saying that too for sure film review and everything there's some film to watch the college prospects oh Oh, yeah yeah yeah. and you can always super accept these guys if you want uh the college stuff with the first pick podcast is something you can listen to. Okay, let's get into the show here. Baltimore 23 and Jacksonville 7. The Ravens had the ball for over 34 minutes. The Jaguars with some costly mistakes. Trevor Lawrence ended a drive with a fumble. They had that ridiculous moment at the end of the first half where they didn't have any timeouts and they threw a pass inbounds and you know they were inside the five-yard line. Uh, couldn't get any points out of that. So missed opportunities. I think I think personally the game was a little closer than the score would indicate a 16-point win for the Ravens. But, Jacob, you can start your big fantasy takeaways. By the way, 20.5 points for Lamar Jackson. And uh, for Trevor Lawrence, it was 16.7 fantasy points. All right, Jacob, go ahead. Yeah, um, Isaiah Likely, I thought was exciting on the Baltimore side of things. He's had a couple of good games in a row. They've used him down the field more. Um, on the year, Likely's yard per at run rate is in the same range as like Dallas Goddard, Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave. So some pretty good fantasy tight ends there. Um, a bit more disappointing on Baltimore side was Zay Flowers only had two targets on 32 routes. Um, and he 
he can become a bit invisible out there, which isn't necessarily a surprise during his rookie season, but it is kind of disappointing. He's had such a clear opportunity to fill like the wide receiver one role down the stretch here for Baltimore with Mark Andrews sidelined. Um, and to see a game like this, I was I was pretty pretty high on Flowers this week just because there was going to be so much passing, I thought, against Jacksonville. But part of it was game script as well, for sure. On the Baltimore side of things, they ended up just running a lot more. For Jacksonville, I don't even really want to talk about it, but like <laughs> Calvin, Ridley, <laughs> Calvin Ridley, 12 targets, 164 air yards, only results in 8.9 PPR points. I went back and watched all of his targets. He was so close on like three to four plays, um, which has just kind of been the story of his season. Um, yep. Yeah, more than 19, anyone. 19% off target rate for Trevor Lawrence. That's his highest mark of the season. His past two games have each been the highest off target rate um, data points that he's put up all year, which I don't think is a coincidence um, coinciding with his injury. Uh, so yeah, it's it's tough. We're going to talk about Bethard and and like what we are doing with all these backup quarterbacks. I don't know, man. Like this offense is kind of falling apart. It feels like kind of crumbling. <laughs> Well, they faced Cleveland and Baltimore the last two weeks, which is not yeah. easy. They had bad weather last night, but yeah, Trevor Lawrence hasn't been hasn't been great. I, but even still, he does make a lot of really nice throws every week. It seems where you get these glimpses, and then I don't know what to call uh, tre- uh, Calvin Ridley at this point. Like the fantasy bridesmaid, he's so close. <laughs> he's almost there and never there. I'm not sure, but. Let's take a look at the the almost touchdowns for Calvin Ridley. He has the third most end zone targets in the NFL, and he has only five touchdown catches. And I think a lot of people thought he did have a touchdown catch. I mean, his game mm-hmm. and Trevor Lawrence's yeah. game is much different if that call is overturned. And you heard the uh, the NBC, ref, I always forget, John Perry, whoever, I forget which which network has which ref, but he was like, that should be a touchdown. I'm that's I completely disagree with what the, what, what they did there. That should be a touchdown. They challenged it. And he thought Ridley was clearly inbounds with control, but third most end zone targets, five touchdown catches. He also has two catches down to the one yard line, which is actually a lot. There are only seven players in the NFL with two or more catches at the one yard line. And no one is more than three. So, it is a, a a year of missed opportunities for Calvin Ridley. Quite likely, too little, too late for you. I think he could have a huge game next week against Tampa Bay. Uh, I think I actually would start him. He's been so matchup dependent. Uh, then there's going to be the people that say, "Well, he's only good when when Zay Jones is is playing, and Zay Jones is going to be out next week." But I don't really buy that because Christian Kirk's been out. But yeah, I don't know. Too many targets and and too many just oh so closes. I think it actually could come through next week. I understand people are going to have trouble, but I just thought since this is a stat show, you should know third most end zone targets and the second most or not. Well, he's one, like I said, one of seven players with two or more catches where he was tackled at the one yard line. Just a terrible luck this year for Calvin Ridley and some of it is own doing. He's had some drops as well. Uh, Dan, when you watch Trevor Lawrence, what do you, and we got to talk about the, the Ravens running backs, which we will with Keaton Mitchell yes. likely out for the season, unfortunately, as he was starting to really make an impact. But when you watch Trevor Lawrence, what are you seeing here? You, What's your faith in him uh, as a dynasty manager? Dynasty is a good question because I still believe in the talent to some to some ex, to a to a large extent. I think some of the issues I've seen from Trevor Lawrence have been ball placement issues. There have been times where he's just hot on his throws and they're throwing hot. It reminds me, you know who he reminds me a lot of? just from that standpoint and people are going to take this the wrong way but Eli Manning a lot of Eli Manning's misses were high and hot meaning yeah. a lot of velocity on the throw 
And that's kind of what I see when Trevor Lawrence misses from a ball placement standpoint. But there has been just more misses ball placement wise from Lawrence than I expected to this point of his career. I mean, I watched a lot of his tape last year during that four game streak when he was a fantasy star. He was awesome during that, but I haven't felt like that's been really consistent throughout his tape in his career. Um, and just watching broadcasts last night, there were misses from a ball placement standpoint. I think generally speaking, that offense just doesn't really have much of an identity right now. They don't do too many things. Well, they don't have they, like last night. I thought the best way for them to have any shot was to run the football and consistently establish that early with Travis Etienne, given what Baltimore has shown on as a pass defense. And just didn't really do that in that game. And I don't feel like they've blocked up well. Some of this is O-line injuries too. And maybe they can fix that at some point in his career and get that improved. But I've heard that for a lot of different quarterbacks. And I still think there are some issues on his film. And one thing about him from a fantasy standpoint, dynasty-wise moving forward, that just was really disappointing me in his career. And I don't know if it's ever going to change now that we're this deep into it. At least maybe not with this coaching staff. You got a new coach and maybe is the rushing. Because at Clemson, he was a runner, and he was really damn good as a runner. And he made some of the most impressive runs that you would look at and think, wow, this guy has a lot more juice and athleticism than we realized to give you know that long stride length as a runner. Obviously helps as well at six foot six, but he doesn't run with the Jaguars. There's no design runs. There's no I mean, he had the one run that he fumbled on last night on he, a third and long. He had like, 41 no rushing yards last night, but but you're right. Most, yes, of, most of the time, overall, not, it hasn't been there. a big point of his yeah. career. And the red zone there hasn't been almost at all from what I expected to maybe see uh, from his Clemson days. So I just don't feel I feel like he might be that guy who you you build, you buy and you build on in Dynasty and he just doesn't pay it off at any point. I hope you're wrong because he is my one of my Dynasty QBs. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think what the thing I agree with you most on is the identity thing. I, I, I do feel like this all year long. I just don't know who the Jaguars are, what they're great at. And all it's right. been a pretty underwhelming year for them offensively. Uh, how about yeah? How about the Ravens running backs? Keaton yep. Mitchell likely out for this season. Gus Edwards is 90% rostered. He was started in only 24% of leagues. They're at San Francisco next week, and then Miami, and then uh, Justice Hill. I mean, <laughs> this Baltimore-San Francisco game, I just... I can't wait. I can't. I mean, I really can't wait. I, for the first version, and, and pro- maybe the second version of it in February, but... It's oh, going wow. to be tough from a fantasy perspective, I think, on some of these calls. But, Jacob, you have any interest in starting Gus Edwards or Justice Hill? And they're going to bring Melvin Gordon up, too. If you need to start Gus, I think he's an okay desperation play, hoping for touchdowns, but that's basically it. Yeah. I, I would say this about that situation. So, two things that interest me about the Ravens. You brought up the Zay Flowers disappointment. He was a player. I told a lot of people in ask FFT to start over some fringe options, obviously, but still disappointing. And I got that call wrong. I think what I saw was interesting. They're using more 12 personnel than they used even earlier in the season with Mark Andrews and likely both healthy. And they're bringing up a guy, Charlie Kohler out of Iowa state, where I really liked his film out of college. I thought he was a great value pick for the Ravens in the fourth round. And he actually obviously has spent some time with Brock Purdy as well. It was just one of those really good middle of the field type of winners. And what I'm seeing is like red zone designs with two tight ends, like the touchdown they threw to Isaiah likely. It's just a double post with a seam bending route from likely. And it's really smart because the way they set it up with Lamar Jackson, with that running a game, it looks like it's designed to be a run and they sell the run well. And that's really what Baltimore has been able to do lately this season, really establish good run concepts, block the execution looks awesome in the run game. And that, in part was due to Keaton Mitchell's explosiveness and his vision, which was an underrated factor of his game. Will Justice Hill have that? 
I don't know. I don't think Gus Edwards really has that. Those two, you know, explosiveness or really the vision. Justice Hill, not so sure either. So I think this could really change their identity as an offense and and in a lot of ways bring them back to earth. So I'm definitely interested to see that. What really excites me about that matchup, though, is, is the other side of the ball. You're taking the best passing offense by all the metrics against the best yeah. pass defense by all the metrics. So we'll see what happens there as well. All right, we have a lot of very funny Adam the kind of guy twos in the chat. Oh, I love it. I think Jacob's been entertained by them. Uh, I was, Give me a couple. Throw a couple out of right. the kind of guys. Uh, one last thing. Lamar Jackson is the number five quarterback per game in four-point per passing touchdown leagues. He's the number six quarterback per game in six-point per passing touchdown leagues, unless you count Joe Flacco. Flacco's averaging more points than him, so he'd be so Jackson would be seven there. But he's averaging 21.7 uh, points per game in six-point per passing touchdown leagues. And that is really bad to be the number six quarterback. And that, that is a commentary on the quarterback position this year. For Jackson yeah. to be averaging 21.7 points per game and to be QB six. I mean, last year it was kind of in similar. Six point pass. In, in six, six point, point yeah. It, last year was kind of similar. I think it would have been something like QB eight. But the years we had before that, I mean, I don't even think it would have been close. Maybe QB yeah. 12 or something like that, QB 10. To be QB six with less than 22 points per game tells you where we are. I mean, Josh Allen is QB one at 26.4 points per game. And that's down from from where he was last week. So I, I forgot. I think Andrew Luck in like 2014 or something like that was the last quarterback to be QB one per game with uh, with this little this few points wow. per game. So it's just been a really bad year. All right, let's see what we got in the Adam the kind of guy too. Well, first of all, Jacob got in there and disagreed with one of them. Adam the kind of guy to double dip a chip. I thought oh yeah, that's a definite disagree. Definite oh, disagree. Yeah. Adam's the kind of guy to be so scared of somebody that he's with double dips a chip that he can't have the rest of that dip the rest of the night. That's what Adam is the kind of guy. Yeah, a hundred scared of a double dip. He's scared of a double dip. I'm not scared, but I'm just gonna make this clear right now. And I don't care who calls me gross for it, whatever. I don't give a crap. Oh, no. I don't care about double dips. You want a double oh, dip? No. Go ahead and double dip on my my dip. I don't care. I don't care. Guess what? All this stuff is overrated. The opposite <laughs> is actually true. The opposite is true. By allowing germs into your body and your system, you're building up a tolerance and you're having your oh. immune system fight off. It's what no surprise being? to me that I haven't been sick in like 10 years and I never got COVID, but Adam is sick for three straight months when he cares about all the germs and I don't. All so right, Dwight, shoot. Sure. Something be. has got to give Okay, Out of the type of guy to collect T.Y. Beanie Babies in his 30s. That could be possibly true. Oh, get me get out of here. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Adam, the type of guy to get pedicures every Wednesday. No, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Adam, the type of man to clap along with the Friends theme song. Yeah, 100% <laughs> that kind of guy. This is the most true one yet. Uh, I don't know if I if – I, yeah, like I in my head, I, I clap along. I don't actually clap. <laughs> Adam, the kind of guy to own the Frasier box set on 4K <laughs> Blu-ray. So I did – because our, our colleague oh, Sia Najad is so into Frasier, I did take him up on I, – I, I did start – I am on season nine. I'm halfway through oh, season nine. I've been watching it oh. for like the last four months. Disgusting. I watch it just about every night, like one episode. Oh. It's good. Over here. It's, it's good. Not good. You don't you've it's never even good. seen it. I've seen enough. I've seen bits and pieces you've of it. You've never seen it. It's a funny All show. It's been boring. Every minute of that show that I've watched has been boring. Every minute. That you're, I didn't you laugh have, Is it a laugh track show too? Do they laugh yeah, track? Of course it's a laugh tra- everything was a laugh laugh track show back then. I um, mean, what's there to even laugh at? Uh Dan's the dude licking his like, fingers at cooking class. <laughs> no, no, no. Just because I'm not caring about double dipping doesn't mean I'm actually just going all out and doing weird, gross things. It just means don't over obsess about germs. That's all. I, that's that's my motto. 
All right, it happened, get, you know. Let's move on here. The life lessons from Dan, who says he's gonna watch <laughs> he's gonna watch just friends and give us a review on the Friday mailbag. No, 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 not this Friday. You're not putting that on me for this Friday. That'll be at some point I will watch that. What's the big That's deal? Not a, Adam, I can't just be grinding movies out every week. I have other things I have to do. Oh, Adam is the well, kind first of guy. find what that's streaming on to before we can even do that. I think so it's a prime. Not. Adam is the kind of guy who calls his wife to kill bugs in their house. That uh, is hundred percent true. Lindsay exact guy. opposite. The exact opposite. I know Adam's the kind of guy who calls an exterminator to kill a simple spider. No, that's <laughs> not true. All right. All right. Uh, the early no, it's edge actually all a joke. This guy lived with cockroaches in his house for like a year and a half. The early edge. Around. The early edge podcast is something that you need to listen to. Great gambling advice. Get before the, you know, get, get before everyone else is on it, before the lines are moving, get the inside info from the early edge podcast. You can subscribe on Sportsline. It's 10 a.m. Eastern or you can subscribe on YouTube. Uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. Watch the early edge podcast. And 10 a.m. Eastern on, yeah, basically every, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then 12 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And that's what that's at YouTube.com slash Sportsline, I believe. YouTube.com slash Sportsline for the early edge. Okay, the news and notes for you. Trevor Lawrence is in the concussion protocol. Nick Mullins is going to start for Minnesota against Detroit. Sam Howell is still the starting quarterback there at the Jets. Jalen Hurts questionable tonight. Geno Smith, a long shot, according to a report for tonight's wow. game. Zach Wilson left in the second quarter with a concussion, and Aaron Rodgers could be medically cleared next week, but we think Trevor Simeon is, you know, has a good chance to be starting for the Jets against Washington. Mason Rudolph is going to start for the Steelers against Cincinnati. A lot of these backup quarterbacks actually have good matchups. Will Levis has a sprained ankle. We'll see if he's able to go against Seattle. Keaton Mitchell likely out for the season. Isaiah Pacheco could be back this upcoming week. Zach Moss is going to try to play this week at, uh, at where is he? He's at Atlanta. Jarek McKinnon, I think he's fine. He left briefly. I think he's fine. Jamar Chase has a separated shoulder. We'll call him day-to-day. Michael Pittman concussion protocol. Tyreek Hill has a very good chance to play this week against the Dallas Cowboys. Zay Jones left with a hamstring injury last night, so that one looked pretty bad. He might miss some time. Jaden Reed left with a toe injury. Marquise Brown re-injured the heel. Uh, I saw there was a Travis Kelsey injury, but I haven't seen anything on that, so I assume Travis Kelsey is fine. Hunter Henry left in the second half. Miami lost another offensive lineman. I know I went through a lot of this yesterday. Miami uh, right tackle Austin Jackson, oblique injury. Zach Martin, good news on him. He's going to try to play this week at Miami. Joel Batonio, another offensive lineman for Cleveland, is injured. It's unbelievable. Uh, He left in the first half. They're at Houston. Two Patriots offensive linemen got hurt. They're at Denver. Chicago offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins was carted off the field. They have Arizona. Um, Jimmy Ward for Houston. He was evaluated for a concussion. I think he's in the concussion protocol. They get Cleveland this week, and he has made a pretty big difference. I think they played six games without Jimmy Ward or with him leaving early with an injury. And they've given up 20 or more fantasy points to a quarterback in five of them or something like that. Maybe it's five of seven. Uh, now, there are some rushing touchdowns involved in there, but he's made a difference in their defense. Uh, the Steelers could be without Minka Fitzpatrick and Cameron Hayward this week against Cincinnati. And Marcus Williams for Baltimore, starting safety for them. He is day-to-day, but they've missed him for four or five games this year, and it has not made an ounce of difference. That is always the thing that has impressed me the most about the Ravens, is that unless it's been Lamar Jackson... They have suffered so many injuries every single year, basically, yep. and they just keep on ticking. 
It's pretty they incredible. They have an incredible general manager and an incredible head coach, two of the elite top three of both, and that's how you do it. All right. Uh, Dan is the kind of guy to buy baby gap shirts since it makes him look bigger. I think we'll go to break on that. We'll go to break on that. <laughs> we'll take a break. and We'll come back. Advanced stats from Jacob Gibbs and more on, on uh, Beyond the Box score on Fantasy Football Today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. All right, Jacob, you are up. Let's get some advanced stats from week 15. All righty. We're going to start with Trey McBride. I've been uh, tracking his per route data all year relative to Travis Kelsey's, and he's finally surpassed him. 28% target per route run rate for McBride on the year on over 300 routes run. So it's a pretty large sample size at this point. 28% for him, 25% for Kelsey. 2.3 yards per route run for McBride, 2.1 for Kelsey. So the best per route data in the NFL at the tight end position right now belongs to Trey McBride, member of the Arizona Cardinals passing attack. That is wildly impressive. And it's backed by incredible data at the collegiate level. The last time that we saw him at college, um, Colorado State 2021, piled up 1,100 receiving yards. That's more than any tight end um, dating back to 2017 is what True, Ma- uh, True Media has available to me here. So the only other tight end with over 1,000 yards is Harrison Bryant. Um, and then if you look at the per route data, it's like, you know, Mark Andrews, Brock Bowers, Isaiah Likely, actually, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, a lot of really great tight end prospects up there with McBride, but really McBride's season is the best that we've had, significantly better than Kyle Pitts or anything else that we've seen from a tight end at the collegiate level. And then he's a second round pick and, you know, he struggled his first year, but man, this second year has been unbelievably impressive. Yeah. Amazing. He's going to win people a lot of leagues. Yeah, and for Dynasty, like everybody, of course, is going to move Sam Laporta up to tight end one after what he's done. Um, and people might even have Dalton Kincaid ahead of McBride because of the draft capital, and I get that. But like, man, I don't know. Based off what we've seen, the data that McBride has put up is better than anybody else. And it's so, I think it's so crazy just coming in this offense because they they can't they can barely move the ball. I think that's the only issue I have with it, Jacob, from a long-term dynasty standpoint, is that's part of the reason I think it's happening because they can barely move the ball. They can barely pass protect. And right now they don't, from what I've seen, they don't feel comfortable letting Kyler Murray operate a drop back passing game, which is odd because he has the arm talent to hit all levels of the field and he's done it in the past. And I've been surprised at how little we've seen him use the vertical plane with guys like Marquise Brown, even guys like Michael Wilson on the intermediate level. And it seems like it's a lot of just design hits to Trey McBride. Now, my concern would only be two things, Jacob. One, if Arizona keeps losing, do they move on from Kyler Murray? Two, are they going to keep the same system in place as they improve around the quarterback and build out, you know, 
may be a line that can, they can feel comfortable operating a drop back pass game or if they believe the quarterback they draft is capable of operating a drop back pass game. These are my only concerns long term of McBride. But as it stands right now, he's going to win you lead, like he's going to be great next week. He's going to be great the week after. Yeah, I mean, he's he succeeded in basically every matchup, even when the offense is falling apart. Yeah. So you have to feel good about him at this point. Um, next, Joe Flacco, 49 dropbacks this week <laughs> in three in three starts. We've seen 49, 47, 47 dropbacks for Joe Flacco. It's just incredible for the offensive environment here in Cleveland. Like there's so much volume. Eight targets, 129 air yards for Amari Cooper, ended with four, 109, and one receiving 14 targets for David Njoku. He's been a league winner towards the end here as well. Even Cedric Tillman, eight targets, 52 yards receiving for rookie Cedric Tillman, which is cool. He's mostly been invisible this year. Um, so, yeah, there's there's life here in Cleveland, which was not the case for most of the year. Yeah. It looked really, really bad. I just want to just piggyback on that. The first, before Flacco, uh, before the Flacco era, they were they had the sixth lowest pass rate in the NFL. Last three games, mm-hmm. second highest pass rate in the NFL. And yeah, their defense hasn't been as good, as good, but they have the second highest pass rate in the first quarter of games. They have the highest pass rate. They, they throw 70% of the time before halftime or in the first two quarters uh, in the last three games of Flacco. So they, I don't know what it is. They just let him, they let the guy who's completing like 60% of his passes just heave the ball 45 times a game. Uh, all right, go That's ahead. Great, great for fantasy. Fair, the throw he made to Mari Cooper at the end of that game was probably one of the best throws we've seen in the last, month from all the non-elite quarterbacks like sadly speaking the state of nfl play we're in like joe flacco is honestly one of the six seven best throwers of the football even starting on maybe even that's it might even be conservative (laughs) (laughs) wow all right go ahead jacob rishi rice another guy who we've been tracking all year um his route participation spiked last week it had not been above 70 percent a game all year prior to last week and then it was up to 83 percent this week, 93% ran more routes than Travis Kelsey or anyone else on the Chiefs. Super, super exciting. Still just a 3.4-yard average depth of target. Um, but yeah, the offense is just funneling through him right now because it has to, and he's he's a league winner. That's, you know, we've made some good calls, made some bad calls, but that's probably the best one is like you you needed to get Rishi yes. right. He's paying off. Dontavian Wicks, rookie for Green Bay, just want to highlight, 80% snap rate. This past week, six for 97 receiving on seven targets. On the year, he has a 20% target per route run rate and a 2.0 yard per route run rate on 245 routes. So it's not an insignificant sample size. And that per route data puts him in the same range as like Drake London and Amari Cooper. Um, If you just look at the Green Bay receivers, yards per route run, two for Dontavian Wicks, 1.7 for Jaden Reed, 1.56 for Christian Watson, 1.27 for Romeo Dubs. Um, I think there's a real chance that he surpasses dubs as soon as like next year. Um, and potentially if Watson remains out, like he's somebody that you can trust this year. He's been really, really good with the opportunities. Um, and the playing time is there now too. Yeah. We'll check on Watson and we'll check on Jaden Reed. Big opportunity for Dontavian Wicks next week. Anything else? Yeah. I got a few more. The Miami running backs. We saw seven. We're just getting some clarity here. There's been some weird games here and there, but like this week we saw seven of eight red zone Rushing attempts go to Raheem Mostert. Both players had 14 routes run. I thought that we might see HN see an expanded role, especially as a receiver with Tyree Kill out, um, but that wasn't really the case. So it's it's right now it's clearly Mostert's backfield, and HN ov- obviously brings big play potential, but is not seeing the usage I would have liked to see down the stretch here. Um, 
one explosive running back who did see usage last week. I, I'm really curious what you guys think about this. If it was just due to the fumble from Najee Harris, or if there was an injury that I missed or something, but Jalen Warren had a 69% snap rate and an 83% route participation this mm -hmm. past week, which were just blew away his previous highs. 52% were his previous highs this year in a game. So yeah. he's been the best running back in the NFL other than me, I guess, a Chan. Um, but among running backs who have a real sample size, it's like Jalen Warren and then no one else. Um, and so if he gets an expanded role, that's exciting, obviously. Last guy I wanted to highlight was Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin had 104 air yards in week 15 after posting a season-high 142 air yards in week 14. Prior to week 14, Chris Godwin had gone 23 straight games without 100 or more air yards. Um, but we've seen it in back-to-back -back games now. I watched all his targets. I think a big part of it is... The Jair alexander -less Green Bay secondary is pretty easy to get open against, um, and he was just getting open a lot. Um, but it is cool that they're using him down the field more. Previously, he's just kind of been stuck in this Juju Smith-Schuster type of role, um, and that's been tough for him to bring any fantasy upside. But he's somebody who you might be able to trust, which earlier in the year looked pretty bleak. Uh, this is what's going to happen with Chris Godwin. No one's going to start him this week. There's only been one good game, and he's going to have a huge game. And then everyone who still has Godwin and is playing for the championship is going to start him in week 17, and he's going to be terrible. So it's just going to be a big up yours from Chris Godwin, like it has been all year. You know, it goes off when you don't start him. But no, I mean, it was ha I'm happy to see it. I'd like to see him finish with a little bit of momentum. He, he looked like going into this year, he looked like a, just a great wide receiver, you know, metrics-wise. And last year was rough because he was coming off the injury, but... Um, he did some really great things at a very young age, and he has had such a bad season. But my big concern is that they just don't throw the ball enough at all. It's five of their last six games with 30 or fewer pass attempts. It's always like 29 or 30. Um, and next, I don't even forget who they play next. Oh, they play uh, Jacksonville next week. So that's, that'll be an interesting game. If uh, Lawrence isn't playing, I think that's probably bad news. I don't know if it's terrible news for Godwin, but it's not good. You'd like to see them have to throw a little bit more. Uh, in order for Godwin and Evans to both get their targets. Um, as far as the Najee Harris thing uh, and Jalen Warren, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that it was a blowout, so I don't know how much that mattered. But the fact that Warren also got a couple of goal line carries was interesting. And Najee, I think we should just probably sit, although Cincinnati is a great matchup. Uh, I saw that Najee like, wouldn't talk to the media afterwards, and it seemed like, yeah, he's he's pissed. Like I wonder if that backfield is shifting away from him. Uh, Colts wide receiver DJ Montgomery for deep, deep leagues. He was basically the Michael Pittman replacement. He ran a lot of routes after. Yeah, what injury. the heck? <laughs> I've never even heard of this guy, which <laughs> yeah. almost never happens. Well, someone named D Montgomery had to score a touchdown this week, and it was DJ Montgomery and not David Montgomery. Uh, Tyler Goodson and Trey Slurman, they, you know, Sermon played more, but Goodson played enough. Uh, like I said, Zach Moss is going to try to play this week, and maybe Jonathan Taylor will play this week. I I just don't think we'll ever get enough snaps from Odell Beckham to make him truly trustworthy. He played only 54% of the snaps. And the Giants, man, I just don't like, for, for Barkley's purposes, I mean, the Giants ran 61 snaps against the Saints, which was the most they've run in five weeks. They had run 50, at least five weeks. They had run 55 or fewer plays in four straight games before running 61 plays against the Saints. They're slow. They they don't I don't think they want to run a lot of plays. Um, they don't. Yeah, they uh, they had going into the game, they had run the fewest plays in the NFL over the last four weeks or something like that. But they had had a buy in there, so I, I couldn't really count it. But 
you know, it's just not a great offensive environment. And the only player you, I guess you care about Waller now too. Waller had a good game considering he played only 42% of the snaps, but you know, I, Dan, I don't know what you're seeing from Barkley, but I think he's, a, I think he's close to being a sit next week against the Eagles. Eagles run defense has been struggling a little bit. We'll see how they do tonight against Ken Walker, but of all the stud running backs who struggled in week 15, I think maybe I'd, maybe I'd take him over Eckler, but I don't, as of right now, I don't have a lot of faith in Barkley in week 16 against Philadelphia. So I don't have faith per se in Barkley in week 16 against Philadelphia, but I also think looking at the running back landscape, a guy who gets this amount of volume that Barkley gets, he's still on the field for almost every snap. But he's not it just getting that much volume. That's the thing. Like, look at the no, carries. No, participation. participation I, mean, I agree yes. he's not getting that much volume. Yeah. from a just pure like touches standpoint right now, but just on the field for all these snaps, like we're talking about like Austin Eckler, who's being rotated off for two different players at this point in a, in an, in a, I'm sorry, in a, in a, uh, in a, I didn't say that word. I didn't finish the word. Uh, I mean, anyone did not slip up on this podcast this year. I didn't, I didn't say I that word. I actually, <laughs> I, in a shootout, I was about to say in a shootout, a non-shootout game, the opposite of an antithesis of a shootout game, right? Like Austin Eckler with Easton Stick versus it's not too uncomparable, but Barkley's getting more touches. I was saying I was going to say shootout. I just cut off. Yeah, yeah I if, agree. Yep. If it happened to Adam, you would not let it go. And I never did it. I said stuff that <laughs> Adam definitely to... did it. Everyone knows Adam definitely no, did it. I, I... That's for sure. Adam definitely did it. I cut off. I had the wherewithal <laughs> to cut off. Oh yeah, way to go! I had no idea what you were saying. It definitely. I thought you were going for shootout too. All right, film review. Uh, we were going to talk about Bijan Robinson. I, yeah, I know. Um, Danny, did you also get a chance to watch Derrick Henry? Bijan, Derek, and another favorite of the show, my boy, James Cook. Okay, good. So they're in uh, two of our big topics, but Derek Henry is not. So if you want to talk about what you saw from Derek Henry and his uh, borderline historically bad game of 10 total yards on 20 touches against Houston as they get he gets Seattle next week. Yeah, Derrick Henry derailed two of my fantasy teams. Usually you can count on Derrick Henry in December, not this game. But when you watch the tape... You see the truth, and the truth is this wasn't on Derrick Henry. The truth is this. The Titans' offensive line, which we did question in the preseason, is horrific. They didn't develop at all. They drafted a first-rounder. It doesn't matter. They don't block well. Their execution is horrible. They tried all sorts of different things. They tried you know, a, a, a pitch play at the end of the game, seven-yard loss in the second half. The first snap of the game was a target to Derrick Henry. I was expecting good things from that, but the ball placement from Will Levis was just horrible. It forces Henry to fully turn his body around. He loses all momentum and then loses yards after the catch because of it. The Texans were gap sound the entire game, setting a really hard edge from their ends, attacking downhill to take away Henry with just little regard for what Will Levis can do as a drop back passer. And that's what it comes down to at this time of the year in these cold rainy games, like the one the Texans Titans played outdoors in Tennessee in Nashville. You're going to have defenses that are just driving on the sticks, putting all 11 defenders around the line of scrimmage and doing everything in their power to take away Derrick Henry. Four eyes on Henry every play. Even on the design screen on 755 in the first quarter, if you watch the play, just look. And I put it. I put this one on Twitter. I put another one on Twitter. But look, look at the second-level defenders for the Texans. Look at how little regard they have for the pass game and, how lack, and the lack of depth they get in their drop. This is a play where you would expect the linebackers to have some more depth. They're playing like two yards off the ball, and they don't even drop to depth after it's a pass so then once the screen is thrown both linebackers just one was an apex defender actually i think the slot defender and the other was a linebacker 
just crash down on the screen. It's nowhere to go. And it's a loss. There was also the play I put on Twitter, which is like one of the most pathetic run plays I've ever seen. Where Yeah, like, you also Texans- you also cursed while you put this on Twitter. Like there is a profanity in your tweet. Oh, yes. That What's I'm fine with. with. I, what is I've with you today? You potty back. No, no, I've cursed on Twitter before. Twitter is a fine place to curse. You want to curse on Twitter, you can curse on Twitter. There's no not cursing on Twitter. And it was not really a full curse. It was like a fun curse if you look on Twitter. Um, but anyway, if you look at that play on Twitter, they're just in the backfield before Derrick Henry even touches the ball. That was the entire game. No regard for Will Levis. I remember dating back to one of our early podcasts, Adam, from the offseason, where I where I ran off Levis's horrific stats against the SEC when you were trying to tell me Levis is going to be a good player. Um, but <laughs> I am so fully off the Will Levis train. Good, he can throw a football decently at times, but he is just cannot process defenses at all, man. At all. If you if and you had to if you had to uh take one player on your fan on your football team, you were an NFL GM, mm-hmm. would you have Kadarius Tony or Will Levis? Will Levis, for sure. Okay. Darius Tony is a useless player. He should be. The Chiefs may cut him or do one of those like late seventh round pick swaps. I mean, this guy is he, he's literally costing the team a game. Like he has a mistake that you see like once in a season from a player six times in one season. Like, <laughs> how is it even possible for him to be playing this bad? It's almost like comical and like a video game at this point. It looks like like a guy who has like his catch percentage on like Madden moved it to like 21 hands and like he's just dropping everything that comes his way. But the good news for him and for Chiefs fans and for anyone who owns him in Dynasty or manages him in Dynasty is that after the game, I saw Travis Kelsey like hugging him and bringing him up. It seems like the players haven't turned on him yet, which is crazy because that was the opposite of what happened with the Giants. The locker room turned on Kadarius Tony, which is a big reason why he was traded uh, from what I've heard. It's, there's no substantial evidence to prove that, but he didn't we'll buy throw into it. But we'll throw it out there anyway. I'll throw it out there anyway. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious if you if you saw the situation unfold as it is, dump a first round pick a year into his contract. But all you right. know, let, let me, it is let, what it is. Uh, all right, so that's Derrick Henry. Um, yes. Watch some of the clips on Dan's Twitter feed. Uh, but but I have no hope for him, by the way, for next week if you're in the fantasy playoffs. Like, he is a potential bench guy for me. All right, I will say this. The Texans had arguably the best run defense in football. Um, so they were they completely outmatched Tennessee. We'll see. Seattle's not quite as good. We'll see what happens. We'll take a break here. We'll talk about Bijan. We'll talk about Eckler. Backup quarterbacks. James Cook, when we come back on fantasy football today. All right. We're back here. And let's talk about Bijan Robinson. Everybody's so bad at Arthur Smith. Uh, he did fumble in this game, but even before the fumble, Tyler Algier had more carries than Bijan Robinson. He scores 0.4 PPR fantasy points, negative points in half PPR and non PPR uh, in the fantasy semifinals. Just unbelievable. All right. How worried are we? Does anybody want to start him against the Colts next week? No, I don't. Personally, um, I can give you a quick breakdown of what I saw on film. Just generally speaking, the biggest difference with Bijan Robinson this year, or the biggest difference with the Falcons this year versus last year, is they're just not executing as a run blocking scheme and team. Last year, one of the biggest factors in why Algier had that season, and one of the biggest factors in why Bijan Robinson was somebody who I thought was a first round pick this year, was because Atlanta Falcons were generating so much yards before contact as a scheme. And Arthur Smith was doing things from a schematic standpoint in the run game that were just awesome straight up on tape last year. This year, it seems like all that has gone away. Maybe teams have figured it out, seen enough tape on his scheme, and they're just figuring in there. And, but but the execution is horrible. The fourth and three, just horrible execution on this run play. The third and two, one-yard loss with 10-10. And then you're seeing, like, no design targets. That's my biggest problem for B. John Robinson. The first design target, the first target he got of the game was just a check down on third and long. 
And there was no design targets for him. They're not getting matched up one-on-one against a linebacker with a Texas route. That could be a really good thing to get him going. No wheel routes down the field, vertically speaking. All I saw was simple flat route targets out of the backfield. Um, nothing, and, and all eyes were on Bijan. It's a similar to what I saw on tape with the Texans versus the Titans. Just drive on everything down downhill in the line of scrimmage, pay no respect to Desmond Ritter as a quarterback, as a dropback passing game. And then the worst part about this from film was after he fumbled, he didn't see the field again. And that was in the third quarter. I think they only had one possession after that though. They did only have one possession yeah. after that. You know, it's also like, I just think bad weather. If you're one of these people was like, Oh, there's bad weather. It's going to be really good for the running backs. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's bad for everyone. Bad for everyone. You know, especially, you know, if you really don't have to respect the passing game, it's easier to defend the run game. And the weather was awful in this game. I feel like I want to go back to Bijan next week against the Colts. They've been a very good matchup. I will say much, much, much better when they have Grover Stewart, their defensive tackle playing. Um, It's like a yard per carry difference when he's playing for running backs uh, compared to when he's not playing. So uh, in eight games with Grover Stewart, Running backs average 3.5 yards per carry against the Colts in eight games, or as in six games without him, 4.6 yards per carry. But they do need to get Bijan more involved in the passing game. He's so good there. I agree, Dan. Like, what, let's come on. What's the deal here? The Colts happen to be terrible in that regard. They give up the fifth most receiving yards per game to running backs. Jacob, do you have faith in Bijan next week? I don't like the spot for him. Um, somebody asked, would we start Bijan or Jalen Warren? I think my answer is Warren. Um, Definitely based off the usage we saw last week, his, you know, Warren's usage is up, whereas Bijan had a 59% snap rate, 52% route participation. Those were his lowest marks all year, um, excluding the, you know, infamous undisclosed illness game. Um, but so if, yeah, but as a broader question, if those were his lowest routes all year, why wouldn't you expect that to be the, the literal, like the low point and him to bounce back to his normal usage? I, I think that's a fair assumption. I'm not ruling that out. I'm just saying that that is the case. Like we are seeing worst rates for him. Um, whereas like Warren is turning up. Um, and yeah, I don't love the matchup either. Like you mentioned, Indy's not necessarily an easy team to run on and they use a lot of single high safety coverage as well, which typically leads to more downfield targets, not as much for the running backs. Um, yeah, I just don't, don't love the spot. All right. I'll be the Bijan guy, I guess. Next topic is from Ken Myers. Rank the backup quarterbacks in the order you're most comfortable starting them for week 16. I may have missed some, but Jake Browning's at Pittsburgh. Joe Flacco's at Houston. Nick Mullins gets Detroit. And then you have guys like Mason Rudolph against the Bengals. Easton Stick against Buffalo. Ryan Tannehill, in theory, against Seattle. C.J. Beathard at Tampa Bay. Unless Lawrence can click. Lawrence doesn't seem to ever miss any games, no matter what. Uh, Bailey Zappi at Denver. Aiden O'Connell coming off a big, big game at Kansas City. Tommy DeVito at Philadelphia. If I missed any, let me know. No, you didn't miss any. These are all bad matchups, too, in my opinion. Some of these in really bad weather as well. Um, or what I assume to be bad weather at this time of the year on the East Coast or, you know, depending on where it may be, Buffalo. Pacific but, Northwest. Oh, I think that, that's at home, actually. That's in L.A. Uh-huh. But um, uh, what'd you say? Pacific Northwest. Uh, potentially in the Pacific Northwest, which really <laughs> does span the entire West Coast in my mind. But uh, I'll start with Joe Flacco at Houston. Yeah, Houston's defense has been good, but they've been better against the run. And I just trust Joe Flacco right now a lot more than anyone on this list by a considerable margin 
And in a dome, I think he's going to sizzle that ball in a dome. I mean, this guy throws a great football still at 39 years old, and he processes better still than like all these young quarterbacks who haven't seen a lot. So I'll go Flacco one. I will go Browning ugh, in the cold Pittsburgh. I don't know if I love that, but let me go Mullins two. Ugh. Browning, Easton Stick, Tannehill, Bethard because it's warm, Zappy. You don't have to rank oh. all of them, but Easton Stick would not be. I don't think he'd be fourth for me. I no, I don't know why I put Easton up there. Not Stick against is the fourth down. lowest for me. Down. No, no, put move Stick down. That was a mistake. Don't even consider Stick. That was a big mistake. The guys that would even consider playing are Flacco, Tannehill, Browning, Mullins, and maybe, no, that's it. Okay. Me. Jacob, what do you got? I've got Flacco and then Bethard and then Browning. And then I think DeVito would be no. next. No, don't do it. You hate it. Um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to hear you guys talk a little bit about Wondell Robinson. He just kind of disappeared from the game plan this week. Theoretically, the spot against Philadelphia seems like a perfect fit for him. But I wonder if it was just Waller's return or what. But they kind of went away from him after featuring in week 14. No, no, it wasn't Waller's return. There was just no offense for the Giants. They couldn't generate anything. And one thing that the Saints did, they took away the outside. And that was something that Daniel Jones never used. He never used the outside, the numbers, but DeVito was good at it. They took it away, made him try to win in the middle of the field. And like we see with a lot of these short quarterbacks who can't see over the offensive line very well, also quarterbacks who are younger and can't process well, the middle of the field is a really tough, tricky spot for them. And DeVito was, if you look at his spray charts from all his starts, he has not utilized the middle of the field at all. So I just think he's figured out at this point, probably most likely against the Eagles, he's going to be, it's going to be a rough stop, spot for him. Um, and so I, I have no faith in starting him fantasy. Yeah, I mean, it, the Eagles give up a lot of fantasy points, but the Giants also, the last couple of years, when they face teams like the Eagles, when they face the best teams in football, they lose by 30 points, and it's just not even yeah. competitive, and that's, I think, what's going to happen. Bethard's interesting. I didn't really consider him. I think Browning and Flacco are 1-2 for me. I, I, it looks like a tough matchup, but if there's no Minka Fitzpatrick for Jake Browning, right. if there's no Cameron Hayward, he's in the concussion protocol, the Steelers are just playing horrible football right now. They are. So It's going to be cold in Pittsburgh, though, this Sunday. Yeah, wasn't it? Was it not cold in Cincinnati this weekend? I mean, it was. It was cold, but and I put, I tend to put way too much into the weather. But I just I can't see that much off. Cold weather is not really unless it's absolutely frigid. Cold weather. The wind. I don't, is what I don't, I really yeah, yeah, wind to a lesser degree. Rain. Cold is not usually that bad. Browning is just getting it done. But if he doesn't have Jamar Chase, I think I think you're right. I think Flacco over Browning. And then, and then, yeah, maybe it's so Mullins, like he got so damn lucky last week, I know. <laughs> you know, and I could see him getting benched if he turns the ball over a few times. So I think I would yeah. go Flacco, Browning, Bethard, Mullins. Okay. And not really consider the others. What was your top four guys? I'm going to finish with Flacco, then Browning. Um, I'll put Tannehill next for me at three. And then... I guess Bethard, but I don't even really love that. Flacco, Bethard, Browning. I had DeVito. If you just don't want to go there, then I would go Rudolph or Mullins. I don't no one want thinks any, Tannehill has any shot. I don't, I don't want Tannehill. No, okay. I don't want. I don't want to touch that offense. No, yeah, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's so bad. I guess you're right. It's so <clears throat> bad. You know, this is really, I would say, the time of year for for uh, for Rudolph. Oh God, that's two dad jokes in one podcast. Oh, it was the same joke. It was the same joke, to be fair. Oh, God. That's even worse. You repeated your own joke. This is from Bada Bing Bada Boom, who's always reliable when it comes to the four big topics. Is Austin Eckler a bench warmer going forward, or does the firing of Brandon Staley fix the problem? 
Eckler has the Buffalo Bills this week. Bench for me. That's for sure. Um, firing Brandon Stanley is not going to help that. Staley's not going to help that offense at all, in my opinion. Easton Stick has ruined, is that's the end of that offense. And surprisingly, I looked in some of the numbers this week. Big regression from Rashawn Slater at left tackle this year. That's been a big problem for the Chargers, and that hasn't really gone away. So bad O line. Keenan Allen doubtful to play in my mind. Maybe he will play. I would don't, don't imagine why he would play. Um, and then Austin Eckler not even getting all the touches anymore. This is a must bench for me. Yeah, um, I Buffalo seems locked into me. I think they're probably going to blow the Chargers out, and it might be exactly what we saw with Eckler last week, where it's like, thank you for your work this year. Yeah, go chill on, go chill on the bench. By the way, I just saw some news. Go, I want to go back to the last one. The uh, hmm. Backup quarterback question. Taylor Heineke could start for the Falcons this mm-hmm. week. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Better was so bad on me. Eckler, yeah, I don't. So the Bills, one thing that they struggle with is pass catching running backs. Yesterday's game against the Cowboys was only the second game all year that a running back didn't have at least three catches. I think Pollard and Dowdle both had two, or Pollard and someone both had two. I think it was Dowdle. Um, they give up the fourth most receiving yards to running backs, four and a half yards per carry. They're, they're a bad run defense. Better lately, I guess I'd say. But, uh, boy. I would say most of that has been big plays, and Eckler hasn't really yeah. created any. You're right. In fact, in his last four games, he does not have a 10-yard run. His longest run in his last four games is nine yards. He only has, uh, in his last four games, he has, let's see, 10, 14, 10, and 5 carries. So that's 25. That's 39 carries. It's not a ton, but none of them have gone for longer than nine yards. Last one is from Mike Campana. And it's funny to use a rest of season right now. We have two weeks left, but he says, is James Cook a top five running back rest of season? And it's interesting. Is he going to be a top top five this upcoming week at the Chargers? <laughs> I got some stats I'll give out, but Jacob, do you think he's a top five running back? We'll just take it one week at a time here. Do you think... He's a top five running back right now. I I think that makes sense, man. Like I I am amazed by the workload that he has gotten. I traded James Cook away in a dynasty league about a month ago because I didn't anticipate the coaching change resulting in just like true bell cow usage because we had not seen anything even close to resembling that from him. Um, but yeah, they he had like twenty eight touches or something, right? He yep. had 27 touches, and he had over 200 total yards. In the and it could have been an even game. bigger game. He dropped a touchdown at the end. He did. And he took a carry all the way to the one, and they immediately put in Latavius, which angered me as a as this is my most rostered player this year. But he still had a big game even with it. Carried me to a couple. That's, that um, is something worth noting. I mean, he is not necessarily. He will be pulled. Yeah. Not, necess- not every time, but he is not the preferred goal line back. And. His touchdowns, I mean, can you really rely on receiving touchdowns? He has two rushing touchdowns. And I think he has four receiving touchdowns, but he has, right. he has, what, like three receiving touchdowns in his last four games or something like that? And I will say this with yeah. regards to that, Adam. They dra- When they drafted him, they Brandon Bean, their GM, specifically pinpointed how he's going to change the receiving game. And I feel like Josh Allen's done a really good job utilizing him there. And his first touchdown catch was a phenomenal catch. It was a backhanded stab by a running back. That's a type of catch that every running back, almost besides like McCaffrey, that I watch drops that ball because it's low. He has to backhand it with his hands, and he's a natural receiver. And on tape, I watched his tape this week. Obviously, he was one of my early calls this season. Didn't really pay off for our Beyond the Box Score listeners until the end. Hopefully, you you waited it out. But, I mean, you watch this kid. His vision and his cuts, they're so beautiful. He's one of the most fun 
runners I watch. I've, I think he's the best in the NFL with Nick Chubb injured currently and with Dalvin Cook no longer playing at the level he used to play at setting up his blocks and using vision cut, making those vision cutbacks. It's just yeah. phenomenal to watch his acceleration in and out of cuts. It's like Dalvin Cook was earlier in his career. This is what I saw on the Georgia tape, and this is why I was so excited about him. His burst after getting in and out of his cuts is also special as well. I don't see any reason why the Bills would go away from it because they've finally figured out how to establish a run game and block really well in the run game. And part of this was investments they made on the offensive line this season. They they drafted who I thought was the best run blocking guard in the draft by a wide margin. He's starting to play better football. The entire line is playing better. They're blocking well in the run game and they're going through the run game and understanding they can win football games in a different way other than like, you know, just have Josh Allen drop back 50 times a game and throw the football. So I think this will last. Like there's no reason for me to think the bills are going to go away from this formula now that it's working. Who has a higher avoided tackle rate, James or Dalvin Cook? Don't tell me it's Dalvin. I know I did the advanced metrics on Cook, so I know he was like 27th in avoided tackle rate amongst running backs with 100 or more carries. I will guess it's Dalvin because you asked, but it's Dalvin. That's not James Cook's game, really. He's you know create no. yards before contact and potentially you know get explosive plays based off that. But I will say to Dan's point about the receiving yard per route run rate leaders at running back Alvin Kamara, Brees Hall, and then James Cook. And then yards nice. per target, James Cook first. All right, if I'm Phenomenal. really thinking about the top five, McCaffrey's going to be one, even against the Ravens. Yes. Then you've got a Thursday night game between Alvin Kamara and Kyron Williams in Los one, Angeles. Two and three, I'll put them both over Cook. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kamara over Cook, I, I don't know that that's an easy call right now. Cook's getting more touches, I think. He's got 20 or more touches in three of his last four games. He's got yep. 100 yards, 100 total yards in five straight games. Um, and both have some goal line issues, but yeah, that's close. You've got who else? You're like, yeah, I'm going to start him over Brees Hall. I'm going to start him over Saquon Barkley. I'm going to start him over Travis Etienne. I'm going to start him over Austin Eckler. Yeah. Oh, Rashad White. Rashad White against the Jaguars. I don't see how that's close. I, I think it's got to be. I would take White. James Cook. Who did you say the Saints were playing? Rams on Thursday. Hmm. Um, a pretty good. That could be a good game. Big game. Important game. So, yeah, I don't really know who else. I th- That's like five guys. I mean, obviously, starting over Henry. Um, we just also factor in our, Pollard, the consideration yeah. that none of these guys were, besides McCaffrey, were first-round, second-round picks. Yeah, crazy. Start, but yeah. we still have CeeDee Lamb. I think he's fifth. Tyreek Hill went healthy. I think he's A ton fifth. of receivers in that mix. Justin Jefferson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know. This is your year of waiting on it. Right. I get it. I get it. You're the it's every year now for zero running back. No, I mean, no, how many it's times not every year. This is by off. far the worst year for running for early. This is by far backs. the worst, but they, they don't pay off most of the time. Anyway, I want to give these stats on James Cook. Uh, since Joe Brady took over as the offensive coordinator, that is four games. He is leading the team in receiving. <laughs> he has a, his 211 wow. yards. Stefan Diggs has 173. He is leading the team in red zone targets with three. He's not leading the team in end zone targets. That would be the great Gabe Davis. <clears throat> and his 15% target share over the last four games, which is five weeks, because they had a bye, uh, it ranks sixth among running backs. So, by the way, wow. in that stretch, last five games, which running back has the highest target share? Bijan Robinson. But uh, things have really changed for him. It's been a big priority. I don't know if it's a Joe Brady thing or a Josh Allen thing. Is Allen changing his mentality? But he's just given him a lot of targets, so it's good to see. All right, that's it for today's show. 
Thank you to Dan and Jacob. And I guess we can hold on. Let me see. We have some good ones here. I did see Dan mm-hmm. is the kind of guy to go to a steak restaurant and put ketchup on his steak. What the heck? That's horrifically <laughs> untrue. I knew horrifically that untrue. I'm the type of guy to go to a steak restaurant and get mad at the person who orders anything above medium rare. That's the type of guy. Yeah, I no, am. I was going to say, Dan is a total food snob. He's the kind of guy to tell you there's only three good steakhouses in the world and they're all in New Jersey. <laughs> no, no, you can get good steaks anywhere. So, and probably outside of New Jersey, the best place to get them, depending on, you know, who's using those free range cows out there. Um, and you, Texas is a great place for steaks. But look, never, never catch up on a steak. That's absurd. And never anything above medium rare. Never anything above medium rare. You know, I also, filet mignon is the way. most overrated cut of steak. I used to be that way. I think I'm kind of a medium guy now. Ugh, painful. You know, kid, I want to go kids, rare. I've never gone rare, and I want to go rare. I want to try rare for once, and I've never done it. Little kids are not supposed to eat like anything that's not really kind of well done. That's a yeah. pro tip out there. So I had to start getting all my food cooked a little bit more. And yeah, I why do your kids have to have every bite of all the food you get? I don't understand. No, they don't have to, but they like like I got, I went out for a burger it. on Saturday, and I split it with sure. my son. I get oh, okay. not 50 50, like 80 20, but <laughs> I, I, thought Adam, I thought Adam was just equating his immune system to that of a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I've, uh, I think rule. I'm a medium guy now, which is really weird. Uh, painful. Yeah. I'm medium. You're medium. You're medium, too, Jacob. Yeah. Jake, I kind of expected that to be honest from you, Jacob. I don't know why, <laughs> but at least you're not medium well or well done. That's just embarrassing. At so this let point. me get don't your take on, on this thing that happened to me in college. This is. Brosy Brosum, who is, has all these Adam is the type of guy to Adam is the type of guy to split the check on the first date. So oh, no. Are you one time in my life? <laughs> I went I went out with someone the night before. My car got broken into and people stole like a few thousand dollars worth of radio equipment from this. It was the student radio stations equipment. I had it in my car. Oh. And I oh, went out no. to, to Coconut you, Grove. You that, by so, the way. What'd you say? How did that situation end? How do you explain that to your I, to I was your, honest. Your, I told them what happened. I went to the I went to Coconut Grove, which is parts of Coconut Grove. That's where like everybody in University of Miami goes out. Parts of the not great area. And they broke into my car. They stole all this radio equipment. I don't know what they were going to do. They started broadcast, but they stole it. Obviously. And I didn't know if I was going to have to pay for it. I didn't, thankfully. So the, the night after I went out on a date, I, I, we split the check, and we, that was the last date. I, I was like so – I was so just shaken. How did you go about it? Did you ask her to split the I check? Ta- she knew what happened. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. And he said, do you mind splitting the check with me? I just got st- thousands of dollars of equipment. She knew because she was I'm with me. She was, anyway. she was with me the night before, so she knew what happened. I don't really understand like the logic here though, Adam. Like you got thousands of dollars of equipment stolen for that you weren't gonna ultimately have to pay no, for. No, I didn't know that. Do. I didn't know that at the time. Okay. I didn't yeah. know that. At the time, you're like, oh my God, I'm a college kid who doesn't have that much money and I might have to fork up a thousands. I get that then. That's yeah, fine. exactly. So yeah, but that was that was a first and last date. So it did, didn't go all <laughs> well. All right. Tip for that one. Have a uh, have a good one. And uh yeah, look at that way. Another another guy in the Bjorn. Worked at the same student radio station as me. Hell yeah, man. And, but unlike you, I did, you did not have... Uh, I, I had all the equipment stolen. So I have that. And you don't. All right. Uh, later, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the Wayward. Actually, we'll talk to you tonight with the live stream. Then the Wayward.